Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Betsy Robinson, the founder and CEO of Tier 4 Group. Tier 4 Group is a full-service IT talent, professional services, and security firm that is dedicated to support the growing needs of an organization's IT department. Betsy's firm is an Atlanta-based business leader, being named three years in a row on the Atlanta Business Chronicle Paysetters 100 and two years on the Inc. 5000. Betsy is a proud graduate of the Terry College of Business at UGA, and her company is one of the Bulldog top 10 fastest-growing companies. As a firm believer that people are the key to an organization's success, Betsy has been providing top talent to her clients for 10 years. We are so excited to have another Atlanta business legend on the podcast. Betsy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Drew, for having me. Yes, we're so pumped you're here. Another Atlanta native in the house. uh, And would just love to start off with the background uh, for us and the listeners to how you started first Robinson Key that then uh, sounded like had a merger with what is now tier, tier four group. So just take us back to even you getting into this field, starting your uh, to starting Robinson Key and how that all developed. Yeah, so happy to, to share that story and I'll try to give the abbreviated version, but um, I got into the recruiting space right after college. Um, so nobody ever really spends four years or in my case, four and a half years on a degree and, and goes into recruiting, but you, you generally get recruited by someone yeah, yeah. <laughs> to join, uh, to join a fast paced industry. So I started with, a, one of the nation's, um, fastest growing technology recruiting firms at the time. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, I grew up an athlete and so they, they really like to hire people with that mindset and, and mm. really kind of made, um, uh, made a competition right out of being the best in your office and on your team and, yep. and ultimately, um, you know, with your clients. So I, I loved it. Um, but there were also some things that I was you know seeing and hearing as I went to my, uh, evolution of, of, from there, I went to become a, a national account manager, uh, for another, one of the world's largest recruiting firms at the time, um, then went to a more mid-sized, uh, boutique organization, and then ultimately wound up starting um, a company, uh, Robinson Key, which later, later Tier 4 Group, um, but really kept hearing over and over again from our audience, um, and in this case, our hiring managers, um, that they felt like everything was quantity over quality, that a lot of their teams were being set up to just be sent you know, just dozens of resumes that had never really been thoughtfully gone through um, and really kind of creating a, a, a numbers game out of recruiting, which I always like to say it's, it's not only just a science of numbers, there's an art to it as well. There's a, a gut feel and, and all that you, you develop um, over the course of the year. So fast forward, and, that, and that's really when I set out on my journey as Robinson Key um, now tier four group to start something new and different. It was really to try to bring back that quality um, over quantity to our organizations and to really focus in certain, uh, you know, niche areas, skill sets and, and companies um, to help them alleviate those pain points of, of 
not feeling like the other person or the, the firm they were using on the other end was, was a resume pusher or, um, you know, wasn't really listening to their needs, but who was really, you know, thoughtful and, and a partner, right? Not just a vendor, but a, a true partner um, of their organization. So that's, that's ultimately what led me to, to founding the business. Um, and then in uh, March of last year and the beginning of 2019, I guess February, uh, we announced uh, that we had brought over uh, the professional services and security practice from a, a company here in Atlanta called Tier 4 Advisors. Um, so now we operate, we are still two separate companies, but we now operate as, as sister companies. Yeah. Um, so we took the talent piece that we already did and that we were doing really, really well and Ultimately, the first year we were named for the E5000, it was it was because of our Robinson Key efforts. Um, but now, um, you know, expanding that into the professional services and security space, which to me is is almost an elevated you know conversation with your customer now, because sometimes you don't necessarily need a person; you might need a, a solution, or sometimes you need a partner to own the deliverables, not just to place someone on your team. Um, you know, to supplement what they're doing. Sometimes you do, um, but it really allows us to be able to, you know, say yes a little more often to our customers and to really craft uh, custom solutions to to meet their needs. So um, I didn't make a long story short, but <laughs> there oh, that you was go. Great. There's our there's our evolution into uh, Robinson Key and then now Tier Four Group. Yeah, well, that's great. well, I'll just reflect back to you. That actually was making a long story short. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard plenty of short, plenty of short stories long, and that was a great long story short. Yeah. Uh, so well done on that. I have a few questions right off the bat. Sure. Um, one, it's cool to see you following uh, what feels like the solid advice of starting a business based off of an actual observation of an unmet need, you know, some kind of innovation where there's an actual need that's not being met or could be met better. And then you went and provided that solution in somewhat of a niche way. And then as your customer base grew and your capacity grew, you evolved from there. You, you added more options, right? So I want to get to that in a second. But I first want to just start off with you working your way through the recruiting space, seeing that quantity versus quality issue. What were your initial instincts that said this will, you know, here's the things I think would actually bring quality to the table. And then did those evolve over time? Did you or did you not even know the solution at first until you really dove in to tackle the problem and discovered what it would look like to improve the quality of the candidates that you're able to, you know, to, to match with a job or, or however it would start? Uh, I'm just curious about that evolution of, of seeing the problem, but then discovering the solution. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a great question. And um, really, at first, we weren't and we still aren't um, afraid to, to say no. So the companies, as we would start to work with them if we were really uncovering that they really needed that that vendor to push some resumes their way and they really weren't interested in, in, in being a true partner in the search and listening to feedback and listening to what was going on in the market um, and, and you know, working with us um, as an extension of their team, then we did say no. <laughs> That's hard mm. to do when you're, when you're young as a company, right? You're, you're trying to pay bills and trying to grow your team, but we, we did say no. And that made room for those customers that really needed a true partner to help them grow and to help push them forward. But but also the market changed from when I got into recruiting, where, um, you know, at, at first um, there were ample number of, of candidates for the most part 
uh, to fill roles. And as we've seen over time, if, if anybody's, you know, reading any sort of newspaper or, um, you know, blog, I guess nobody reads newspapers anymore, but mm-hmm. uh, reading any sort of articles, um, you know, there, there is a talent shortage. So we have evolved in this, in this market um, where, you know, on the direct hire side, we need to go out and truly headhunt because there's less than 2% unemployment in a lot of these skill sets in IT. And so it, mm-hmm. it's our job to truly go out and, and create a search each and every time um, of passive talent, not just active talent. And so mm-hmm. that, that takes, it really does take partnership. It takes a little more time. Um, and, uh, you know, but we, we have constantly been, been honing and developing and refining our skills um, to do that faster and better and, and with more AI and tools that we, that we never had before. But um, so, you know, the market change um, is, is one answer to that. But, um, yeah. but also we had to make room for the customers that truly were open to a little bit different idea um, in the recruiting space than your traditional, uh, traditional firm. I'm curious, just in general, anytime someone's starting a business in a somewhat established um, industry with you know plenty of competitors, you work for them, you work for some some nationally uh, recognized brands, right? Uh, right. How, how hard or difficult did you actually experience it, uh, getting those first customers, getting traction where this was now, you know, had its own market share that was able to pay the bills and that, you know, obviously grew from there, but how hard was it initially to break into that industry? Um, it, it depends. And, and um, I'll say that because I'm a person um, and, and I um, very much instill this in my team, but I'm, I'm very much about relationships. Um, and I look back over my career and I've always just been genuine than myself. I don't think I'm a natural you know, salesperson, not one of those people that's over the top, just trying to feed you something. And, and it's always goes back to kind of doing the right thing when it's the right time. Um, mm. And so I will say there were a lot of people that, that worked with us in the very beginning because of a relationship. Um, so truthfully, those barriers to entry were a little bit less um, than, mm. than we would traditionally see. But, but um, so that helped us to get a, a good foundation where some of those relationships um, but we certainly had many companies tell us, no, you're too small. Um, we don't feel like your team can, you know, meet our needs. Um, so, you know, those, those were hard. Um, and even, even where we had some relationships, even if a person was advocating for us, um, to become a partner of that company, the company wasn't, uh, you know, ready to take us on. So, um, it just depended on the company. It depended on, on their size, scale and needs, but, um, we, we very much at the time and still are, if you give us a shot, I can, I can guarantee most times, if not every time our team's going to outperform. Um, and if we don't, you know, get that placement that time, we hope that the experience of working with us, um, and being genuine, doing the right thing and, and bringing great talent to your organization, um, resonates and that you'll come back to us the next time and, and, Candidly, I think that's why we've seen the growth and the numbers that we've seen um, is because we continue to make sure that everyone has a great experience, whether it's a candidate or a customer, um, so that they, you know, they, they keep coming back to us um, each and every time. So it's a little easier to overcome those objections now, um, fast forward all these years later, but we certainly had our fair share of, of no's. Um, so, yeah. I love that. I especially love the emphasis on relationships. 
that as much as we've gone digital, as much as we've focused on marketing efforts and hooks and funnel pages and all those kinds of things, which are great, at the end of the day, you can't escape the importance of actual relationships that you've cultivated with trust and likability and track record of experience and those kinds of things. So um, makes total sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Betsy, one of my uh, one of my curious questions that I had for you and feels like a fine time to ask it now, but was just, are you still operating a, a full desk yourself or are you able to just lead lead the organization? Where where are you at on that that journey? That's a great question, Jordan. No, I do not operate a full desk myself anymore. Um, although I will say for a lot of um, with the caveat that when we get some of our higher level searches in, yeah. um, you know, our, our VP and, and C-level searches, I am absolutely um, hands down completing some of those searches. It's, um, yeah. it's fun for me. I love it. Um, keeps me in the, in the game and on my toes. Um, yeah. But I do still sell for the organization. I am still very much a key part of my sales team. Um, and while I can't take on the number of accounts that I, I once could, because I do have to manage and, and operate the business, um, I am still making calls, um, you know, pounding the pavement. And um, I'm right there alongside my business development staff um, and helping us gain new customers and tell our story. So, um, awesome. Well, for the yeah. only, the only, uh, the only person on this podcast right now out of the three of us that does not have a background in recruiting, I'm assuming <laughs> having a full desk means being an active recruiter of accounts or is that what yeah. we're talking about? Because yeah. <laughs> I just picture having a bunch of crap on your desk that, but it's I don't think that's what you mean. Yeah. It's just dirty. Yeah. Dirty. So, it means you handle both the sales side and the delivery side, which would be recruiting in our business. So um, you do see the full desk a bit more common when you're doing direct hire um, business. Jordan, I'm not sure if you, uh, yeah. if you, um, if that was your specialty, but on the contract right. side of our business, it's a little more common to have what we call a split desk where you have yeah. recruiters just doing recruiters and uh, account managers just focusing on the client side. And and for the most part, that's what we run it here for is a, a split desk. Yeah. Yeah. I did run a full desk when I was there. Yep. Direct hire. Um, that's awesome. Very awesome. Cool. Well, that brings me up to a curiosity as well that I would have. So as you go from someone that's just a hired gun in that industry to starting your own company, likely still running, I guess what you guys would call a full desk and growing from there, what does your evolution look like as a leader going from just someone out there, yeah. you know, fulfilling the need to now recruiting probably your own team members to wearing multiple hats as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, to now the CEO of a fast growing company. Like what has that evolution been like for you personally <laughs> as a leader? Yeah. Um, a bit of chaos at times, but a, a lot of, a lot of growth, a lot of focus that's needed. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only person that you guys have talked to and that's, that's a member of this, this wonderful club of the Inc. 5000 founders that, um, you know, started a business because they were good at a particular task. It doesn't mean I was good at marketing or accounting right, right. <laughs> um, or payroll. So I'll say as the evolution has, has come forward, it's really a matter of making sure that we've either hired and or outsourced those portions of our business that allow us to continue to focus on what we focus on, especially myself, um, you know, as a leader, because I can't be managing my team and, and um, encouraging my team and supporting them as well as our clients and customers. If I'm, 
you know, doing back office operations and marketing. So it's really been, um, you know, letting a lot of that go from my purview, which I will admit was hard to do in some areas because it's also an additional cost, right? Um, uh, in most cases, but right. you, you have to value your time um, and the cost of your time being taken away is a, is a different cost. So, um, you know, I've, I've grown from being, you know, the only person, which by the end of my first year, we had started to hire people internally for our our staff, and then we've continued to grow since there. So, Right now, I'm, I'm probably focused about 50-50 um, management and operations and, uh, and leading uh, with the other 50% still um, trying to, to be uh, a person out in the, you know, making sales calls to clients and, mm. um, and getting new business for us. But, but I will say there's a lot of time now where I'm, I may still be the figurehead and the person out there, but then we have a team that can come in and manage it um, after I've paved, you know, the road. Um, for that uh, that relationship, so it's it's been a journey. And if you talk to me again in a year or two years, I guarantee you that it will be different. And and that's the fun part of it. Mm. Yeah. What's uh, I, you know, it's kind of funny because you have this fast growing company, you have to start hiring people, and so you're like, we hey, we specialize in being able to find you the best people. And now I'm over here having to like fight to find the best people for to grow my business. What's the like? most common common hiring challenge that you face when kind of staffing up and maybe just anything that you learned in that and maybe you know not everybody on this podcast every every person that we've had on the podcast they're in hiring mode right these are fast-growing companies yep. that are trying to get it right so i'm almost thinking about like hey how could we educate them as you who are like having to hire for your company and you're having to focus on on hiring like what are some of the, the most common challenges and, and how have you found different thing, different ways to, to kind of get over them, get around them, solve them. What traps do you, could you typically fall into and say, never fall into these traps? Uh, educate us a little bit on what's the most common thing that you kind of yeah. see in the hiring mistake side. Yeah. Well, great. Um, great question. And um, I will say, while we do some of our hiring ourselves, we also have a recruiting firm experienced in our industry yeah. help us. Um, so, uh, we, we put our money where our mouth is in terms yeah, of making right. sure you're, wow. you're using niche, uh, niche partners. Um, yeah. we, we have a, we have a good one. So, um, you know, but it, it, it goes back to, there's a lot of people that have a lot of great skills, um, and there's a lot of wonderful people, but does that mean that they're a wonderful person for your organization at that time? Um, because what we needed four years ago isn't necessarily what we need now. Um, and as we fast forward to the future, that's kind of, you know, one of my responsibilities is to make sure that we, um, we have people that are, are meeting us at those stages and vice versa, that we're able to offer them opportunities at, the, at their stage. Mm. Um, so I'd say it's making sure that we're getting not only you know, the right fit from, you know, for, for our team, it's either being a great recruiter or being a great account manager or salesperson or operations person, whatever it may be. Um, but it, it's making sure that we're getting the right cultural fit and that we're seeing some of those intangibles, um, self-awareness is one, um, kind of that entrepreneurial mindset, because when you are um, a super fast paced growing organization, um, you're, you're probably not the most you know, process driven, you're probably not um, as um, you don't have it all laid out there like a larger company may. And so 
we do look for people that kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset and can kind of take their role um, and run with it and expand it. We don't put a lot of the parameters that even some of our competitors do of, you know, you can only work in this industry and this zip code and this, um, you know, city. Um, so, uh, you know, we just make sure that it's equally as important that we get the right culture fit as it is that we get the right skill set. Mm. That's cool. And it sounds like even more than a culture fit, it's even a season fit, right? So like what season of what season of the company are we in and how we match that? So like you said, it might be more of an yeah. agile time where the, we know there's going to be pivots. We know there's going to be experiments. And so we need someone totally cool with that kind of light, you know, work style and demands versus someone who's looking for everything's been discovered and we mm-hmm. just need to keep booting A plus B to get C. Uh, so that's that's really wise as well, yeah. helping people understand the season they're in and then hiring for that fit. Um, yeah. That's unique. We haven't heard a ton of that. I mean, I think that's something for people to really tune into is like, do I have the right strategy tuned in for the right season? Because that might determine who, who we hire. That's, that's yeah. really good. And, and making sure the person that you're hiring that you're speaking with is also in, in that space for themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool. We're even talking about that for our company right now. So Jordan and I both had separate practices uh, in, in business coaching and personal performance. And then we merged together and started Mitchell McClure Coaching. And we have a small team now. Uh, we've grown through the pandemic, which is the fact that we live. That was goal number one, like stay yeah. afloat, right? <laughs> and the fact that we grew, we were like, wow, man, like really thankful uh, that that happened. Yeah. We were also realizing a lot of that came from the team. A lot of that came from us having something bigger than ourselves now. And when we were looking at the personality typesets that we have, we realized, fortunately, you know, this was, felt like a fortunate thing. It wasn't intentional. We hired the right people for an early startup phase company where everyone's flexible, <laughs> everyone's self-motivated, everyone uh, just has a, a high tolerance for ambiguity and, you know, that kind of thing versus if we had hired someone else that like needed answers every day. And as things were changing and changing, it would have driven us crazy. We wouldn't be able to focus on what we were trying to do. And we yeah. look back and feel so fortunate that the right people were there to match the season that we were both in as a company and as a country or as the world being in a day-to-day, things could change at any moment type of thing. I like that high tolerance for ambiguity. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Welcome to our world. That's right. I like got it. A lot of- I'll- Go ahead. Yeah, and, was the, and I'll also add, this kind of goes back to the first question and to our journey is when I started the company and made my first hire, and as we continued to hire, one of the, the value propositions that we, we sat down with our customers with, and, and we still sit down with it today, is that we're a group of experienced individuals. We're not hiring straight out of college like a lot of our competitors, and I mean, I got my start in that area. So it, I'm not trying to you know, knock that, but there's a lot of, of, of turnover that they have. And there's a lot of spinning your wheels to get the right person. And, you know, we're yeah. hiring people on average on our team that have 12 years of experience. If we added up, everyone divided it out and averaged it out. It's, it's 12 years. And so that's been one of the things that one of the things we've hung our hat on as a company is that we are hiring experienced individuals who um, aren't, learning, you know, on the job for your particular hire um, or for your particular need. And so that's, that's been key for us as we've continued to, to grow. And that kind of goes back to making sure we get the, you know, the right fit at, at the right time. 
Um, but, but we'll continue to do that. And we also hired them virtually before COVID, before this crazy pandemic that we're all in. Our recruiting team um, is sprinkled around the Southeast. And, and I intentionally said, if I'm going to go out there and start this, this company and I want to say I'm going to hire the best recruiters out there that I've worked with in the past or that we, you know, we received their resume or, or they're referred to us. I don't really care where they sit because I want the best person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while our sales and account management staff might sit within specific geographies, um, our delivery staff, you know, um, typically sits here within the Southeast. But if we yeah. were making them come into an office every day and commute, we wouldn't have been able to hire 90% of them. Um, yeah. So it enabled us to get the best person for our company at the time in our, in our season um, and to make sure that we were able to meet that model of, of hiring top performers and giving them flexibility um, and other things they may not be able to get at their current positions um, and giving them that opportunity here at Tier 4 Group. Wow. Well, that really makes me think of uh, Jordan and I are both sports fans. So, oh, you are as well. You mentioned earlier you're an athlete as well. Uh, I just don't like to yeah. make the assumption that everyone's as sports-centric <laughs> as we are. But it makes me think of what I saw happen going from high school sports to college and then from college to pro where high school, especially is so located on geography that like, you just hope you have enough talented people in that geography to have a really winning team. And what's great about recruiting, right. College and beyond is you actually go beyond the boundaries of where you happen to just be right. And, yep. and I think that's what you're talking about with hiring as well that I think we've been from as a company is saying like, man, traditionally, you just were like, well, who lives here within an X radius of this office that we could hire? And now not every industry, but most industries are starting to realize the flexibility they actually have in how teams can operate in what, you know, uh, uh, where we could hire from and still have our goals met, that you open up the pool, you know, you're able to have such a broader search for the for the right fit, you know, where you're searching among millions instead of searching among a few thousand or 100,000, right? Um, that sounds amazing. I love that. Um, I would love to know too, just Jordan asked this, but I want to make sure to highlight this one part of the question. Are there any common traps that you see that you wish people would avoid in hiring, right? Like common mistakes that a company might make before they found you or just in general, as you've been amongst the hiring and the selection process for so long, you know, one thought that comes to mind to me is like the Greek mythology of the sirens where there just seems to be some things in life that sing to you and sound sound like I should take this choice, sound like I should go this way, but every time ends in a shipwreck. Uh, is there anything you've experienced like that that just feels like a common trap that business owners listening to this podcast could watch out for when they're hiring some key people? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So um, I read a, a, a statement somebody posted recently that said a, a job description is a wish list. <laughs> Um, but, but, but I've always said too, you're also putting a three dimensional person into a two dimensional, you know, job description or piece of paper, Mm -hmm. right? So you may have a certain skill set carved out for your team. Um, and I don't mean just technical, right? It could be, you know, sales, really anything that you're hiring for. Um, but you've got to remember to fit that three dimensional piece and that each time it might be different. So let's say someone left your organization and they were your, you know, your top developer with this one skill set. Um, you know, so working with a, a whether it's an in-house recruiter or whoever your talent partner is, you know, really taking on that search each time with a new lens 
um, of what is right for your team to solve the problems now and in the future. Um, so I'd say that's one of the traps people fall into is they they make sure uh, they're not really that flexible. They they say we've got to have X Y Z every single time. We yeah. can't teach anything else. Um, and, and they stay so rigid and focused on this one narrow lens that they're missing some of the, uh, you know, the forest for the trees, so to speak. Um, so, so that's one um, that I think people commonly, um, commonly fall into. And then lack of flexibility, I think, is, is another. Um, and one of the things I will say that um, I think COVID will teach us and I think it, it will forever change the game um, of, of work is just to, uh, you know, to, to allow a little bit of flexibility, whether that be flexibility with, um, uh, you know, commute or time in the office, um, and to, to allow people to have kind of that work-life balance. I mean, living here in Atlanta before COVID, your commute time was more important than your salary. People were absolutely mm. willing to make less money to either find a remote job or one that went in, you know, a couple of days a week. So I think it's, yeah. it's having that flexibility to uh, keep up with the market and to, uh, you know, try to make sure your organization is offering kind of what your peers are offering or even more so to uh, attract and retain that top talent. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes me think of a few that, that I guess I've seen or we've seen and some I've read about as well uh, to add to add to that. You maybe it's uh, alongside of one of the things you're saying is uh, I've seen people hire gunslingers that let's say are amazing salespeople or just get a certain metric, right? They knock it out of the park, but they're cancer to the organization. So you hired like yeah. the right skill set and you almost justify it. Like you go against your instincts. You're like, I'm not actually sure I like this person or trust this person, mm -hmm. but they're so qualified and we have this need and you bring them in there and you realize their results don't outweigh the impact it has on the organization by not being a cultural fit or having a value fit. And then the other I'm curious about, if you guys have seen as well, is actually hiring two like-minded, right? Where whether it's hiring the same kinds of people, and that could be gender, race, you know, that kind of thing, or just the same kind of personality types, and not maybe that's around the flexibility as well, not recognizing where you need to start bringing in diversity of the kind of people you've hired, maybe background, skill set, gender, whatever, especially as a as a as a woman in technology, which is something else I wanted to get into. Yeah. Uh, such a unique role, and I'm so glad to see it. Um, have you seen that as well? Has that been a trap where we just get locked in on a certain kind of person we go to again and again, and we don't bring in that diversity? Yes, 100%. And I think, you know, diversity breeds <laughs> um, so many great things in every conversation, um, whether it's, you know, building products or building great teams and having people that don't think the same way and can bring new innovation mm -hmm. and ideas to the table. Um, I mean, I'll share, this was probably a decade ago, but I had a customer who said, we will only hire people from and named three different schools. It was like wow. Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, and, and Clemson um, yeah. at the time. And um, Clemson. I, said, I know, Drew, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we, I can't believe Clemson a decade ago made that list with Georgia Tech and Vanderbilt. Yeah. Wow. But, um, but, you know, and, and so, I mean, you, you literally get down to, well, first of all, we can't do that and you need to look at, you know, at other people, but, yeah. but this guy was so focused on, these are the only people for my team that are going to work and that are going to be successful based on what I've seen, 
you know, in past performance. And that is just such a shame um, because you are likely missing out if you don't have that diversity on so many new ideas of, of thought and culture and, and all the things that, that diversity brings to the table. So 100 um, percent, mm. I think sometimes people go in, like I said, with that too narrow of a lens. Yeah. Um, and and um, and that can be caused by their own, you know, a, a number of different things. But if you hire everybody that's the same, how are you going to grow and challenge each other and, um, you know, push past into that next level? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you're, 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 you're missing gifts, genuine yeah. gifts. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. one of our things is we, we often are using personality profiles and things like that. And, and it's like, man, every personality is a gift if you know how to unlock it or if they're in the right opportunity to succeed and your company is missing exponential, you know, exponential growth opportunities just from bringing in diversity. Yeah. You're, you're, you need someone to challenge. Even our friend, uh, Dr. Nick, he's a, he's a physician at Emory and he was just talking about kind of the scientific process. And he was saying one of the things that worried him most about the pandemic was how um, solo the voices were that were thinking through the pandemic. And he's like, even if that voice is the leading expert, he's like, you typically have like three or four people. And you, he said, one of them you want to be, I don't, I don't think the word was dissident, but there's usually a, ver- a voice that you bring in on purpose that typically goes against the grain. They're not trying to be a stick in the mud. But he's like, you actually need that for someone to go, where are we all having kind of like confirmation bias here? And is there an alternative perspective that we need in this core group of people looking at this issue? And he was like, it feels like there's no one invited into those conversations. Mm. It were a key, still experienced, still had great background, but more of a, you know, a a push against the grain kind of person. Um, And we just see that all the time in teams as well, where there's a difference in what I said earlier in being a cancer which is you truly don't fit and you're kind of toxic to the culture versus you guys just not knowing how to value an outside voice or a different, you know, different personality. That's not a cancer. That's just you needing to grow and adapt and learn to value other kind yeah. of people. Right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Bessie well, added a, uh, a little bit of a question for you. It was a, uh, a little bit of a, a turn to something different, but I was thinking about back to, Hey, the, the people that you have to hire a lot of times are going to have that entrepreneurial spirit you know, and, um, you know, it could be hurting, you know, hurting cats. I think for you, you most likely have that, that feeling at times, um, having those people, which I think is is phenomenal. But one of the things that also matters is that like they get to set their own schedules, right? Like they set how they're productive or how they're not productive. Either way, it's, it's kind of up to them, which is a lot of people's jobs now. Like we, but, but some, some people just have it all planned out for them. It's like, this is what you do throughout the day, but you get to interact with a lot of people. It's like, no, they get to, make their decisions. And so one of the things that I had think uh, that I wanted to ask you thinking about this podcast was just around personal performance tips on a daily basis. Like how would you, uh, how would you encourage somebody if you really wanted them to crank up their personal productivity in a day, uh, anything that you would say, Hey, you need to look at doing this or this to really look at being your most productive self in a day. Um, What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a it's a great a great question because sometimes if you give people too much freedom, you know they they can sit in analysis paralysis themselves of what they yeah. should be doing. Um, but I would say to people that I and this is I, I've had to learn this about myself too. I am by nature a procrastinator. Um, I was the the kid who made all A's, but I was the kid who turned in their report at eight a.m. when they started working on it at midnight. 
um, yeah. when someone else who, uh, you know, might've done it two weeks ago and, and followed, oh, uh, followed that timeline. So <laughs> it's, it's a weakness about myself. I've had to constantly overcome as an adult. So I'm by nature a procrastinator, but, um, good planning, um, can go a long way. And, and whether that's truly planning out your week, sitting down on a Sunday and, uh, taking the time to look at what's coming up in, in the upcoming meetings, um, planning out what you're going to do when, and even I'm a big fan of time blocking as I've gone on in my career. So stopping working on something, even if you, um, you know, are are going against your time, but if you allotted two hours for that, then do the two hours of that activity and then come Mm. back because you need to move on and go down, uh, down your list. Um, So, you know, I would say time blocking, planning, and then in our space, you know, just, just given that we have, um, you know, I'm talking about our internal team here, but um, in our space, we can get too a little enamored with tools. Um, and I'd say this is probably true for a lot of people, but sure. uh, with AI and with LinkedIn and with all of these tools for reach outs and, and emails and email marketing, and it's just the world that we live in. Um, but don't rely so much on tools or use tools as one piece of your, you know, your arsenal. Um, but don't forget about just your voice and picking up the phone and talking with people um, or networking with people and, and building those relationships. Um, so I see a lot of salespeople and recruiters who kind of get caught up in, well, I, I sent, you know, 500 messages on LinkedIn or whatever it may be, but okay, what else, you know, what else did you do to take that to the next level? Did you call them? <laughs> did you, um, you know, send them something outside of that traditional model to try to catch their attention? Yeah. Did you text them? Whatever it may be. Um, so I would say, you know, that's another piece of we, we, we tend to rely too much sometimes on these tools that do our jobs for us um, and kind of pushing back, uh, pushing past to that next level um, and, and taking it to, uh, taking it to another level and, uh, you know, breaking down those, those barriers and not just being the same monotonous reach out, um, time and time again, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I love that. Uh, especially because we've seen both in my life. So I'm a fellow procrastinator. Welcome to, uh, procrastinators <laughs> anonymous. I've been, I've been waiting to start the group is not anonymous, I guess, since we're, we're on a, a podcast now. <laughs> Um, but you know, what I would be curious about is some of the, some of the things that maybe even more around like mindset that have helped you break through some of that. Cause I know for me, again, an, an example for me has been, uh, in terms of, of overlying on tools or even often assuming that's actually going to solve the root issue. I would just keep going through like time management systems and organization systems and yeah. to-do lists. And well, maybe if I synced my to-do lists with my Evernote that I never open, that'll send it to my Gmail, which I'm five days behind looking at. It was like, I was making the wrong assumptions. I didn't need a time management system. For me, it was actually an in, it was in, in my head kind of thing where, you know, I, I, I listened to a podcast years ago of these two women that were the foremost researchers on uh, procrastination. They'd literally been doing like study groups uh, for, for first for themselves as like a support group. And then they just started studying as, as, as psychologists. They're like, well, this is fascinating. No one's ever actually done like deep research on people that procrastinate. And over like decades, they found that fear was the number one contributor, not personality type, which was interesting that fear was the number one contributor. Uh, it was like a fear of like one of four things, fear of failure, fear of being controlled, fear of 
I don't remember what the other two were, but fear, right? So they, they actually realized like it wasn't necessarily tools that were missing. It was uh, feedback loops of fear that would cause people to not give their best effort or not give themselves enough time. And so that was a big journey for me was like, okay, what's up with me and decisions? You know, like, why do I get so paralyzed sometimes around decisions? And I put them off and put them off when I just need to trust my gut and pull the trigger. Uh, or I had, a, I realized I had an, a, a, I had an assumption that I didn't like structure as a creative kind of person. I just always assumed I didn't like it until I got in the right structures that were based off of visions I was compelled by with steps that made sense to me. And now I love it. Like I actually freak out more on the days that I look at my calendar. There's not much on it because I have to wade through yeah. the, the analysis paralysis of my day versus the days that I'm trapped by my calendar. And all I got to do is just show up and perform with what's in front of me. Uh, so I didn't know, is there anything you could speak to about you as well? If you're a former or current procrastinator like me, but you've continued to evolve and be a productive person. Was any of that internal as well? Have you seen any of that uh, play out in your it life? Was. Yeah, it was. And I'd say some of it's definitely based on, on fear, um, you know, fear of saying no, or, you know, not meeting your, your financial goals or wh whatever it may be. I mean, there's probably a number of things, even subconsciously that we don't even uh, realize or have the awareness about. So, um, you know, definitely, I would say that that's probably um, one of those things. I'm a big, so in not to divert, but um, aside from tier four group, we, uh, my family, we love real estate. So I do like flipping houses. We've got investment properties, we've got rentals, et cetera. Um, and so I love all things real estate. I love million dollar listing, the TV show. So this brings me to say Ryan Searhant of uh, Million Dollar Listing, if you're familiar with that show, he does a, a vlog and um, all kinds of different um, kind of, uh, you know, um, videos. And, you know, one of the things that stuck with me years ago after watching one of his was that we all have the same amount of time in our day. So what makes your, you more successful than me with my time? Um, and, and part of what he touched on was about pushing past this fear, but also going back to kind of the planning and whatnot. But I, I also have, um, evolved from that, um, from my procrastinating days and I still do it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. My assistant, my assistant, literally when we have our weekly meeting, I have to say skip sometimes because she knows, um, <laughs> yeah. I just didn't get to, I didn't get to it, but, um, um, but anyway, so I'm, I love yeah. what he said about that because at the end of the day, you have the same amount of time to be successful than your peer or than your competitor. And I even admit I get bogged down sometimes in looking looking at our competitors or if we've had a failure, mm. you know, why didn't we get that right? And, yeah. you know, I allow myself a few minutes on it and especially if there's something to learn from it. But if I give it too much credence, I'm going to miss out um, again on, on the successes I, successes I could have if I just pushed past it and kept going. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, Anybody that you know wants to follow anything, go follow Ryan Searhan. He's super motivational. But that's that's one thing that sticks with me when I wake up is I have the same amount of hours to comp accomplish um, the same things as everybody else. So what am I going to? It also helps you prioritize, right? So I yes. think that's another thing. Going back to those time blocks and what's important. Um, I see a lot of people get bogged down in, in some things that you know aren't necessarily a client-focused thing at the time in our world or you know, isn't all about um, kind of what's going to help us meet our goals. So do those during lunch or do those right before or after work or, you know, deprioritize those, those things, um, you know, and, and if you've got that mindset, it will help you um, make sure you accomplish what's most important and prioritize those goals. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I can speak to that. Time blocking was 
is continues to be huge for me. The book, The One Thing by Gary Keller, which from real estate, I don't know if you've read that book or not, but. No, but uh, I'm going to put it down. <laughs> oh, come on, Betsy. You're going to love it. It For my personality, it was all the right challenges and also explanations to get me to buy in, to be like, no, that actually is going to relieve anxiety for me if I can. So his basic premise of the whole book that he built Keller Williams Realty on was there's always one thing that's more important than the rest at a given time. And if you know it and you prioritize it and you take care of it, he said that one thing would make everything else either uh, non-consequential or easier. So like it literally, it might take care of the whole need and you don't need anything else, or at least makes everything else easier because you got the biggest win or the biggest thing out of the way. And so his whole book is around finding out what the one thing is in each area of your life and your business, making sure you give it adequate time and priorities. So that alone helped me versus trying to have a schedule for everything or trying to have everything done neatly packaged. It was like, all right, can I at least get the big things into my calendar Mm -hmm. and feel like I'm not behind on them? And then I developed my own thing that I call just a just do it list which is small stuff that actually isn't that important, but ends up causing me pain or anxiety when it builds up That's, and I can yeah. feel it. Every time my anxiety starts to rise in me, I'm like, oh, I must've gotten a trap of procrastination and I'll make a list <laughs> of I'm avoiding. And then I give myself one hour to see how fast I can knock as many of those off the list. And it forces me into quick decisions, firing off emails, doing whatever. And, and the more regularly I've done that, it's kind of counterbalanced uh, yeah. those things yeah. in my life, because there's still things maybe like for you, visionary things, creative things that procrastinate, I think actually is a little bit of a gift because you're not quick to a judgment. You're not early on the decision where more information might come in. And so there actually is some really compelling evidence for creative thinkers and being procrastinating that if we can mm-hmm. get rid of the stuff that's the Achilles heel of procrastination, you can keep some of its creative genius that in that late hour, in that 11th hour, you know, you, you're able to really get some productive time burning and come up with some great creative stuff right there at the end. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm talking way, way too much. I don't no. to talk as much in the podcast. I think that's the celebration for you, Betsy, too, is you clearly, you couldn't be on this podcast if you didn't also know how to fight that temptation to procrastinate because you could have waited for yeah. your business idea and you could have waited to go for it on your own, but you actually had just enough to like execute, take advantage, even yes. the real estate yes. stuff. Lots of people know yeah. about real estate and real estate investments, but how many people are actually just going after and like going for it. So I love that, that you must have that, that balance there. Um, I, I wanted to go back to just the organizational leadership side of things. Cause we are talking about like skill set development a little bit, like what has been the most challenging skill for you to develop as I now I got to be manager and organizational leader and like vision setter. And now, Hey, we're actually merging companies like some big, big plays have, have happened for you now. What has, what has been the, the thing where you're like, yeah, I, I'm just continuing to have to grow in this skill set on that organizational leadership side of things? It's a great question. And um, I probably hadn't had this awareness until maybe becoming a business owner, but yeah. I'm horrible at delegation um, or I'm better at it now. I once was horrible at delegation because I am definitely the type of person that let me just do it myself. Um, I did not like group projects back in school because I, (laughs) you know, um, I just wanted to do the project myself and get a great grade. Um, So that's a skill too. You have to continually, um, you know, develop that. And um, there's a lot of trust, right? So I cannot anymore be... Uh, I am not tier four group, right? I'm not Robinson Key. Yeah. So um, learning how to still make 
time for the things um, that are important, but to delegate delegate those and empower the people around me um, and the leaders I've hired and the teammates that I've hired to um, to go out and run with something and do as good of a job, if not better in many cases than I would have done it um, yeah. myself. So that's, that's certainly one of those things I've had to um, uh, to let learn to let go of um, yeah. as we continue to grow. And I will have to continue to do it more and more. But at the same time, it's, it's a great rewarding factor because I'll use our cyber security division as an example. Um, I hired someone that I've known for probably 15 years um, and um, I tried to get her multiple times before she said yes to coming over and, and running that practice. But um, empowering her to to kind of go and build that. She's done a more phenomenal job than I could have ever even dreamed of. And we are going to have hopefully a, a wonderful 2021 in that in many things at Tearful Group, but especially on the, the cybersecurity side. Um, and it's because I went out and hired someone who I view as much better than me. And I delegated, you know, um, that task of, of building that practice versus, you know, staying bogged down and doing it myself. Um which wouldn't have led to, to anything productive, but uh, anyway, yeah. so that's that's one of the things for sure that um, that I've had to to overcome is that need to do it all myself um, and to delegate and empower. Empower is really a better word than delegate. Yeah. To empower those around me to uh, yeah, uh, is that really the, the result? That. The maybe acknowledging the lack of empowerment was the reality. You know, you were able to kind of trace that back and go, ah, oh, well, actually, it's because I'm not delegating. I'm holding things too tight yeah for yeah. sure what uh have you used or do you apply any any filters or is there a filter that you use for delegation now that helps you figure out how you need to move something off off your plate that's a great question um pain <laughs> pain, and pain yeah yeah pain and I overload hate this. for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lack of sleep lack of yeah yep. um, there must stress, be something no. here yeah. I, I probably should develop a better system, but, um, but no, it really is. Um, we're a bootstrap company. Yeah. Um, and so I've always said, I've let the, the, I don't want to call it pain, but I've, I've let the business come first and then gone to hire versus hiring for the result of a future business. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I've continued to operate and will continue to operate. Um, yeah. so, um, we've kind of let things grow to the next level and then we'll, you know, we'll add resources. So I guess maybe that is going back to procrastination. <laughs> I let it build up to the point that we've got to do something about it, but yeah. um, it's, it's worked. It's worked for us. So. Yeah, I do. You know, I mean, you think light back bulb. to mindsets. Uh, yeah, light bulb moment for you. We'll write, write that down. But the, uh, yeah. the, the mindsets and the mind frame around trust, I mean, it, it is tied to that. But I would almost be curious, is some of the delegation for you, is it ever tied to uh, speed? Like, hey, I could get this done faster or I don't believe you could get it done fast enough and I need this done. Like when you're really in work mode and you're not in podcast mode, easy with us, like, do you find that like actually speed really matters and that even makes yeah. it difficult to get things off my plate or have somebody else do it? Because I just don't think like you're not going to be able to move fast enough. Like, is that a, a tough thing that you sometimes run into? It is. It is. And, and I'd say it's one of those things, again, I've gotten better, but I, I hope to continue to get better in the future. And um, yeah. and part of it maybe just goes back to that that infancy of when we were a small company, we didn't have people to do a lot of these things, right? And so 
I either owned a lot of the tasks or I owned, you know, the follow-up of reaching out. And so um, we're not going to get to where we want to be at the next level if, if, um, if I continue to do that. So yes, speed is, is absolutely one of those things. If we've got to turn something around, don't wait on me because <laughs> I've got to get to, to my other priorities first. Um, so yeah. absolutely. Well, let me ask this follow-up question because this might actually help give you a filter for you to walk away with. But what would you consider, and this might be hard for you based on your personality, I hope it's not because I hope you are fine at claiming what you're great at, but what would you consider, or maybe others would consider around you if that's more helpful, uh, your unique ability in this business? The thing, and we would describe the unique ability as something that you are both best at and love to do, right? So this is my best skill, this is my superpower, and I love to do it, (laughs) and I leverage it for the organization. How would you describe your, your, your unique ability? Oh, that's a good one. Um, at the end of the day, I like to help people solve problems. Um, and I view myself as a connector. That's really at my core who I am is a connector. I've always been that way, even, you know, younger with, with, you know, friends or what, or whatever it may be. I've got this inherent drive, Mm. um, to help people. If you're an Enneagram person, I'm a two. Um, yeah. two. Yes. So with a three wing. So, um, but I'm, I, I want to help people solve problems. And so, um, whether that's my team, whether that's a customer and whether the answer is tier for group or not, right. We may not yeah. be your answer to that problem, but I still want to somehow try to connect you with someone who can help you solve that problem. Um, yeah. so I, I think if you ask anybody, you know, on my team or around me for better or worse, um, um, that's, that's one of the things about me is I'm a helper and I want to connect and help people solve their problems. Oh, come on. I yeah. love that. Well, first yeah. I want to geek out on, I want to first geek out on you being a two because some of my favorite people in my life, one of my sisters, both my sisters are my favorite people. One of them's a two. My mom is a two. Um, I and, test as a two. Yes, but you're not, but <laughs> that's for another day. Um, yeah. <laughs> The sweetest, pe- I mean, like salt of the earth, like sweetest people in the world. They are literally critical to every group they're involved with, you know, uh, because they have that inherent drive to bring value to people, to serve them. I also know they are also themselves their biggest blind spot sometimes where they give away all the oxygen masks before they put on the oxygen mask, right? And they don't follow that good plane or that, you know, that plane's going down uh, communication. <laughs> put your, put your, uh, you know, your oxygen mask on first before you give it away to others. And I would say yeah. part of that is probably this filter, right? Not actually having a good filter that lets your conscience feel okay about passing something off when your personality is telling you, no, 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 you should do all things for all people, right? Yeah. And what I would like to encourage you in is, we use the unique ability as the filter, almost as a North Star. So as, you're, as you continue to grow, as your business continues to grow, you should be continually delegating in a direction. And that delegation is going to lead to you elevating into more and more of your unique ability being the primary gift you offer the people around you. Because think about it, just if we're, if we're talking sports again, mm-hmm. you being a pitcher, if that's your unique ability, we need to have you on the mound as much as possible and not catching balls yep behind the plate or having you run, you know, in the outfield, we need you doing what you do best. And maybe that's even as a closer. So we don't need you in the early innings. We need you at the end of the game. And, but early when we have a field, you know, our team is a team of one fielding 11 positions, (laughs) you end up taking on all the positions 
Yeah. And the then forget yes. your unique ability. Right. And so I would just encourage you to, to really keep that in your mind and just say like my unique ability, I need to have more and more of my day-to-day responsibilities reflect that. And so everything else, it's a matter of what can I get off first? You know, what's the first thing that I could get somebody else off so that more and more I'm living in a connector role. I, I can totally see that for you, which is why you're still in sales as the CEO of a company, right? It's like, stay there. Yeah, stay there. Stay in connector mode with your, even with your employees, just walking around, helping them solve problems, getting to know them, but not getting into the nitty gritty of the details of carrying it out, being the problem solver, making relationships with big customers, making new deals like you did to bring tier four group around. Those kinds of things are your unique ability and everybody else you could, you know, we always say if it's not in your unique ability, you have three options. You can delegate it, eliminate it, or improve it. And those are based off your season of constraints. So if you don't have the money or the people to delegate it, second question is, can I eliminate it? If it's too critical to the business, then I have to improve it. But at some point yeah. after improving it, it's going to go back to delegate or eliminate uh, so that you can live in your unique ability. So as a two, I'm sticking up for you here, Betsy. Don't <laughs> let your personality keep you trapped in being all things to all people. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And it's great to talk with people who know the Enneagram and love it. So yeah, I'm constantly trying to look at, okay, how can I look at the, uh, the arrow, right. That points to a path of, of improvement and, That's um, right. and, uh, and not, you know, another thing with twos is we take a lot of things personally. Right. So, yeah. um, I had an old boss years ago, just a couple of years out of school. And he said, you take everything so personally, um, it's just business. And I said, is it though? I mean, it, we're talking relationships. We're talking about ownership of your your position and what you do. So, you know, part of it is personal, right? Yeah. I, I take it personally, yeah. but um, so that can be good or bad, right? Um, I take it personally. So therefore I try to always improve and do a better job and, and out hustle and out, out, you know, out yeah. everything, everyone else. Um, but at mm. the same time, sometimes it's, it's not personal. So I, I've had to kind of go along that line of, of maybe, yes, I'm taking something way too personally that just was a business decision, right? From, <laughs> from a customer or whatever it may be versus, you know, what I really can strive to improve upon um, or for my team to improve upon if, if there's a lesson to be learned. Yeah, so. I love it. So it, just this would be a question for you even around assessments like the Enneagram. Is that something that you guys have done organizationally wide or is that just a tool you found personally helpful how has that come into play with personal development and teams? Yeah, I got into the Enneagram actually outside of the organization, um, read the book and went through the whole thing with our Sunday school class. But um, have which taken one? that. We, the Road Back to You? Which one? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've got it on my audio books. <laughs> Love Road it. Back awesome. to You. Um, so great book. And uh but then we did it at work. Um, we're actually probably, we've got some new team members, so we need to probably do it again. But but that was neat too, to have people kind of say, aha, you know, I, I see this about myself and I can recognize, um, you know, a trait that could be a weakness and turn it into a positive and, and use that for uh, for growth. Um, and uh, and then we've gotten into family doing it and friends and all. So my mom is a, is a hard one. She's a former school principal a type perfectionist so that I start to say, huh, did I get some of those one, one traits I need oh, to, yeah. to throw away sometimes, but, um, it, it's a, it's a great, um, tool and it's certainly like anything you can't, uh, you can't absolutely live or die by it, but it, it's my favorite one. And we, we have done it as an organization and I would, I would, uh, have anybody listening to this podcast, if you haven't gone through and done your Enneagram, go, go do it and then learn what yeah. it means. 
Um, and, and it certainly will help you not only become a better leader, but um, hopefully a better person, friend, spouse, um, for sure, et cetera. So big mm-hmm. fan. Yeah, that was the that was the one for me that most resonated personally. You know, we've we've used some different ones uh, organizationally. They're more in work context, but for me personally, that was the one that got me the hardest. I mean, the first time yeah. I read, I'm a nine with an eight wing, and the first time I read the description, which was the last one, like it went through in order. Uh, I was reading a different <laughs> book. Um, I was like, none of these are me, which was like my biggest fear that no assessment understood me, that I don't resonate with any of them, and I got to a nine, and it literally made me get so hot. Like I was, so, I felt so uh, called out on all my inner drives and and hangups and all that kind of stuff that I just I got out of bed and I took my shirt off. I was so hot. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is me. I was embarrassed, you know. Um, <laughs> which was the first part. I want to encourage people like you don't continue to be embarrassed. But yep. the first part was right. just like it was com- very confronting, and then it became almost like a spiritual tool for me. Not almost, it was a spiritual tool for me of development and formation. Um, but help me just see the patterns and habits I most often fall into both on the positive, you know, as a nine, I can be a great bridge builder. I can be a great, you know, uh, peacemaker. Uh, but yet I can be a great peacekeeper, uh, which is an avoider, you know, an avoider of conflict yeah. and those kinds of things. So it just put some significant things on the map, like recognize that. And that's a trap you fall into and recognize that that's the direction yeah. of health for you. You know, uh, we found yeah. that to be really big. But you're still in my triad, which is the the heart or the feeling, right? So uh, I'm not. Um, I thought you were. I thought it was a nine, mm. one, and a two. No. No, it's an eight, nine, and a one. So I'm in the gut triad. The two, three, okay. and the four are in the heart, and the five, six, and seven are in the head. Um, but I'm a okay. nice person. Nines are nice, and twos <laughs> like nice people. So so <laughs> I, 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 I'm happy to be in your you're triad. Out, man. You're you're out. You can't keep this piece. You're out of the friend zone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'll, I'll hop in there, man. I get I get twos. I got a lot of twos in my life. Sure. Um, but again, it's so funny watching watching twos be absolutely critical, just so we can geek out on your personality more, absolutely critical mm-hmm. to organizations, yet almost uh, often or not are often – in, in, in almost critical burnout levels, right? Yeah. And so I'm curious about that for you in stress and in burnout. Like I had, a, we had an Australian friend who was living here for two years mm-hmm. on a visa and working, and he lived actually here. I'm in um, my home office that it's also a guest room over the garage. I got a guest apartment. And he lived up here for two years with us, Uncle Scotty, Scotty from Brisbane, Australia. And he would regularly have like not just sick, but like every like six months, he'd get sick for like 14 days. And because he was literally, he, he was so critical to the organization. He never said no. And he always said yes. Then I would keep telling him like, buddy, you got to slow down or whatever. And then all of a sudden he'd literally be up in this room. We're like bringing him Gatorade. Like you got the flu again? Come on, man. Like this is pre-COVID. Like I, man, yeah. COVID itself might, might have knocked him out. But uh, <laughs> I'm just curious for you. Are you in that place? Have you steered against that? Is that a trap you can still fall into? Like, how have you managed the stress of the business, of personal life, of all that kind of stuff with your take on everything personality? It's a really great question. I I do it better at times than others, right? Um, and uh, I certainly, especially during the, the COVID realm at the beginning, right, trying to be like um, supporter in chief, as I called it, right? Sure. But still also... How do you behind the scenes make sure that because um, it hit us hard in the talent space and we've been fortunate that we we powered through it. We didn't do layoffs like some of our competitors did. I mean, we we powered through it and things are, are returning to 
you know, normal levels um, that we saw, and we hope that that trend will continue. But, um, I mean, there were many, many sleepless nights. Mine, mine is lack of sleep <laughs> is one um, one way. So I'll get up in the middle of the night, and I, I just cannot go back to sleep because I'm thinking about something. Um, and um, but it, it, at times that's that's where I get my peace. Sometimes in the middle of the night to be able to sit down and um, and really think about it when there's not all this chaos going on around me in the middle of the day. Um, I've, I still work on trying to be, to be present, um, and staying off my phone, um, at critical hours. I have a five-year-old, um, mm. I make sure I'm still the one who drives him to school every day. Wow. Um, and so carving out, you know, that time and that family time. And, you know, even if you carve it out, if you're not present, what, what's the point? Right. Right. So even if you have turned your phone off, if you're still thinking about stuff. So um, as we've grown bigger, I've found myself, um, you know, making sure that that is more of a priority, that I get that family time, that I turn it off. Um, But not only that, but being mindful to be be actually present Um, because nobody wants to be that person where your family's telling you to turn your phone off. but uh, yeah, so that's how it typically manifests with me. I'm either on my phone a lot and not present, or I I don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So is yeah. guilt is guilt a? Well, I'm not turning this by the way into a counseling session. You don't have to go this deep, but I just know <laughs> I know guilt is a word that like. Are you going to send me a bill after this? No, no, no. <laughs> but my okay, my sister, my mom, like people I I've grown up with, like I just notice like guilt is a word that they feel a lot. It's a word they would use to express a lot. Like if. If they said no to somebody, they feel really guilty. If my sister has like terrible migraines and they've only been getting worse, and if and the doctor was basically like, you need to get massages like several mm-hmm. times a week, and she would feel so guilty getting them. Or we're like, this is like, you shouldn't anyways, but this is akin to physical therapy, and you feel guilty. So I'm just curious, like, would you just would would that be a constant enemy of your state mm-hmm. as well? Guilt. It would, it would be, and going back to being the helper nature, right, of, of putting on everyone else's oxygen mask before your own, yeah. um, you know, helping, whether it be your team, your customers, whatever it may be, um, but even going to the extreme with that to where it's, it's um, um, you know, put a, a above my own, you know, well-being or health or my family's. So it, it's a constant balance, but yeah, guilt would be one that I'd feel, and and if I'm working too much, I'm going to feel guilt for not being the greatest yeah. spouse and mom and then vice versa. Um, so I, I take that on a lot, probably sometimes too personally, but I'm also proud of that fact that, you know, we, um, you know, I, I take it personally down to every single person in our organization that, you know, what we do is a, what I do as a leader um, impacts, you know, their bottom line and impacts their families. Um so it's a lot to take on, but you could also look at it on the flip side that you get the opportunity um, That's right. you know, to have that impact on people. So it, it, but sometimes you got to switch your focus and switch your lens um, if you get down into to too much of the guilt and uh, the stress of it all. So good. I'm sending this interview to all my yeah. two friends. You got, <laughs> you got fantastic advice. This is this is awesome. Uh, yeah. Hey, before um, we, we dive into the lightning round, which we're about to do because yeah. we've, we've taken up uh, a bunch of your time already, I did just want to make note of this and at least get uh, your thoughts on this or any words of encouragement on this. Um, you are a, a woman in technology. You also are on the advisory council for women in technology on, the, on, on that advisory council. 
Um, and I just think that is, is such so needed and uh, unique, unfortunately unique, but I've seen an ever growing trend and more and more women getting involved in technology. And so just would love to just hear what that's meant to you to be on that board as well as to be in that industry. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, when I got involved, it was probably 15, 16 years ago, right out of school as, as just a volunteer. And so fast forward oh. now, I wouldn't even have known what it meant to me. Um, but, um, you know, some, so from a, a personal level, I've gotten so much mentorship from those, those strong women um, who are around me in that organization. But it's also, you know, enabled us to, to give back and to, to um, offer programs to help um, you know, get more women in the STEAM now, not just that it used to be STEM, but in the STEAM fields. And, um, you know, one of the things, is, as far as we've come, we still haven't closed the gap on the statistics. Um, and one of the most alarming statistics I'm seeing in the midst of the pandemic is how many working women are dropping out of the workforce because you're mm -hmm. having to be, um, you know, parents of a virtual school, right? Right. And, um, and, um, you know, they're, they're foregoing that. So this is going to be another, you know, challenge we're going to probably continue to, to talk about mm -hmm. and address, which goes back to, you know, flexibility. But um, it, it just meant the world to me to be able to influence a lot of these programs in some way, to be able to raise funds, to put some of these girls in, you know, middle school and high school on the path of, of becoming a, a woman in technology and to help people that might want to be in the midst of a career change, look at a, a you know, development career or an infrastructure career or a you know, project manager or a business analyst and to help make an impact um, you know, on their lives. And, and we're doing an amazing thing right now with WIT and Women in Cybersecurity um, in our Single Mothers Program. Mm. Um, so you know, it, it means the absolute world to me to be just a, you know, a, a small part in leading that charge and, and changing kind of the landscape of technology for the better and getting more women involved um, on a national scale. So cool, man. Yeah. Uh, love, yeah. love that you're doing that work. And uh, I can tell it's a, a huge passion of yours. So thank you for sharing about that. Thank you. All right. Lightning round time. Are you ready for this? Uh, no, I've dreaded these questions, Jordan, because now I'm oh. analyzed over them. <laughs> Here we go. If this is the time, you're going to get them done and they'll be in the past and it'll be great. Uh, so question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? It's a great question. Um, and I've, I've gone back and forth on my answer, but I, I would just say it's that sense of, of empowerment to be in charge of your own destiny. Right. That's the one great thing about being in our industry on the uh, the sales side or the recruiting side is we do have control, just like any salesperson would be. Um, we have control of, of our destiny and, and the activity that we put in. And so it, it's really um, ingraining that sense of, of entrepreneurship, pride and kind of taking charge um, and and. Uh, yeah. ownership of your own desk, so to speak. Um, I, I want that for everybody in our organization. You have the opportunity, at least here, um, to kind of, um, you know, grab the bull by the horns and, and run with it. You don't have that everywhere. And so I mm -hmm. just want to make sure that everybody on our team feels that and, and um, has the opportunities to just go and run with it and, and make their own path. Fantastic. Love that one. Be in charge of your own destiny. Uh, that's great. Question number two. 
Uh, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And then what's the worst? Yeah, we touched on it earlier. And and I had an executive coach early on back in like 20, 2017 and 2016. Um, who was the one who was like, let some of the things go that are non-essential and that, um, that get in the way of you doing, you know, what is important to the bottom line and growing the business. And uh, so I would say that to any founder is, you know, you, you founded your business to be X, whatever it is that you're that you're growing. Let go and empower others around you or outsource or delegate, whatever it may be, or eliminate, to your point, Drew, um, you know, eliminate what's in your way and focus on your niche and your core and what's driving um, the organization forward. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Uh, what about the worst? <laughs> worst advice um, that I've gotten. And give us their name, too. We want, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, We've It doesn't have to be one of them. It doesn't even have to be gifts. It could be someone personally said this. Sometimes it's around like just uh, advice yeah. you see in, in the industry or about growing your business that you've found to not be good advice. Yeah, I've, I've had some people say that, you know, you're, you're, you're too small to make it or it's, it's a tough industry. You're going to have such a hard time with so many competitors differentiating yourself um, in the marketplace. And uh, more so just some... Um, not necessarily advice about the business, but just some naysayers of, you know, you're not going to be able to do this because, mm -hmm. um, so watch yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing it. That's it. You send, you can send their addresses later. We'll take care of them. That's right. We um, will. We will. Yes. Question number three, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? Um, I would always say I always set higher goals maybe for, for myself and the organization than, than maybe are realistic sometimes. So um, balancing what's really reasonable and, and feasible um, and, um, and not, really, um, not really putting too much burden on myself and, and others um, to reach impossible goals, but to, uh, to really be more, more realistic. Um, so I, I tend to spend a lot of time worrying about um, worrying about things that don't really matter instead of just head down doing what got us to this mm. point. Um, I, I don't need to be uh, benchmarking us against everybody else. I mean, it's nice. It's nice when we get yeah. to be on the Inc. 5000 and whatnot, but sometimes I think I worry too much about that um, and about what's going on on the outside rather than just, you know, you got to focus on the inside and not listen to that noise. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, this is a good one to kind of follow up is what's your, what's your BHAG? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal right now? Uh, I love yeah. you personally and for the business, a little bit of both would be great. Yeah, great. Um, great question. So I'm going to focus on our security side, right? Which is one of our, our um, um, most recent areas of our business. And um, we've got a 10X BHAG on that practice. So have me back at the the beginning of 2022. So I can come back and tell you at 10 X, um, our revenue in that practice, but we're doing some amazing, amazing things there. Um, and we have a, 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 an amazing team from industry, you know, former threat intelligence directors for big banks, former incidents response leaders for companies like Cisco. And we're, we're putting together a really great team there. Um, and we've also, which I know we haven't really touched on, we've become a value added reseller in that space too. Yeah. Um, and to have a women-owned reseller in that space is, is there aren't many. I mean, yeah. it, it's nearly um, 
So a very, very unique thing, and we're figuring that out. And so um, that, that's our BHAG. Our BHAG is cool. the 10X, our security practice for 2021. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Last question. Uh, if you could hop into DeLorean, you're going to go back to your past. Uh, you're going to tell yourself one thing from the driver's side window as you, as you fly by. When would you go back and what would it be? You aren't going to like this answer. But if I were to go back and tell myself something, I wouldn't be in the seat that I'm in today. Um, so I'm not going to believe in changing the course of what got me, you know, to this point. Um, so as tempting as it is to pop back into myself and say, you know, do this or do that, or, or take this path, you know, reality is if you do that, you're changing the course of what's now, you know, what's, what, what's now the present, formerly the future. Um, so it might not be the greatest answer, but, but, but nothing because it would have, it would have altered my outcome for being here. I love that. And this has been Mm -hmm. a little bit, I've noticed on this question, it's been almost like one of those ink plot tests where, (laughs) you know what I mean? Where it's just been fascinating to see like how people have interpreted the question. And most have interpreted the question in terms of changing something in their past. And that's, that's just interesting because that's not actually what we had in mind uh, when asking the question. It's more like, what would you say? Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's just curious to me that, that and I love that because I've seen a commonality with most founders is that it's been a wild road wherever you are to get there. And that there is yeah. a value now for the process of what you've been through from the mistakes you've made and what you've learned from the ups and the downs. So I love like that's really a cool almost side benefit of that question is like, wow, everyone keeps taking this road. But it's, it's a very common answer that's like nothing. I wouldn't have changed anything. There's some things I wouldn't yeah. choose to repeat, right? Sure. <laughs> choose to sure. go back there, but I wouldn't change. <laughs> um, so that's really cool. I love that. Uh, Betsy, yeah. thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous with us today on the podcast, sharing personally, sharing about your organization, um, entertaining two, two nuts like us, geeking out on things like the Enneagram. And we have had a blast with you on here. You've had such amazing advice and, and wisdom. And I know the founders listening to this are going to get so much out of it. So, we do hope you come back on, and we can't wait to hear about that BHAG getting crushed by 2022. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a fun update episode. So thank you again for making time and being on the podcast. Thanks, Drew, and thanks, Jordan. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Betsy. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.